Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Okay, so today we're very happy that Chloe's back and we're going to be talking about the horse training world and the dog training world and kind of talking about like the similarities there and, you know, the similarities between how you can train dogs and horses and I guess like whatever related topics we get into since we always go on tangents. And this one's super unprepared, so I'm sure there'll be a lot of them. Yeah, like 15 (laughs) minutes ago we were like, hey, well, let's do this topic. So (laughs) we will see. I feel like most podcasters have like, I don't know, really detailed notes with like bulletin points on things they want to cover. And we're just like, let's talk about this right now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I have detailed lists and stuff, but this time we're just like, okay, let's just talk about it. Yeah. I don't really know where to start. (laughs) As I don't really know either. I mean, I guess you're a dog trainer, so that's That's true. You know, you have the knowledge there. (laughs) We were talking a little bit before we recorded about how aversive tools with horses are a little bit more normalized than it seems like they are in dog world stuff. But we also talked about how I think it's more based on location and kind of who's in your circle. Because here with my horses and my dogs, no one would even give a second glance at any aversive equipment because it's just normal. They actually probably look at me more funny when I'm using treats. But if I were somewhere else, maybe in a busier city or even just somewhere that's more, they have more dogs and more trainers locally, things like that, they might look at me funny if I have a prong on them. So it kind of is really dependent on where you are and who's in your circle. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's probably true. Like as somebody who kind of likes dogs and has like a family dog, but I don't really do a lot of dog training or work like in the dog world. I definitely, I guess, have the feeling that it is further along than the horse world, but it's really sort of just like a feeling that I have. I don't really have the knowledge or the experience to be able to say whether or not that's true. But I don't know, at least in my area, I definitely think like if you say use a prong collar, I think people think that's normal, but at the same time, like you're going to get a few funny glances for it. And there's going to be people in the public who are there who are going to be like, yeah, I don't know about that. Whereas like with horses, I feel like, you know, you can go to like a horse show or just drive around and visit some random barn and whoever you encounter there, they're probably going to think that, you know, bits are perfectly great. There's going to be very few people who are going to, you know, see an aversive piece of equipment and be like, oh, I have a problem with that. And so I don't know. I mean, that's very anecdotal. And also, like I said, I don't really have the knowledge to make like a super strong claim, but that's just sort of like what I noticed. I think it'd be really interesting to do like a survey of some sort that was able to account for like the environmental and regional differences and see if there are kind of more people who are against aversives in the dog world and kind of how like those opinions differ. I feel like that would be really interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I think it also depends on what you're doing in the dog world because I don't compete in any dog sports. I might eventually, I don't know, but because of that, I typically don't see as much aversive equipment. Like once in a while, a client might come in with something or maybe another trainer will talk to me about a client using something, but they're usually pretty okay with dropping the equipment eventually once they have some more skills with positive reinforcement-based training. But in the dog sports, that might be completely different. I have no idea because I'm not in that at all. 
Yeah, that's very fair. And I think that makes sense. I, I guess like even both in the show world and the just casual world of horses, I feel like you really see almost maybe an equal level of use of aversive equipment. I mean, I know like in the, you know, high up showing, you do have a lot of, you know, whips and spurs and harsher bits and whatnot than your average everyday person might have. But I still think like the same equipment is pretty normalized. Like for me being around barns that are sort of show barns, but they're not like super fancy, like high level people. They just sort of go to local shows. And I mean, sometimes sometimes they travel pretty far, like they might go 10 hours away or so. So like they are out here traveling, doing like some legit shows, but they're also not like world-class riders and they will use the same bits and the same spurs and whips that you would see in like Olympic riders or whatever. So I think like there is a lot of that equipment just kind of being normalized and even at like non-showing barns I definitely see maybe a little bit less like spurs maybe but you know a lot of pretty harsh bits especially because people's solution is like oh if you don't know how to ride then let's just put a harsh bit on and a lot of those random backyard people might be the ones that are not having the knowledge or experience to actually train and know how to do that so then they're kind of going to a harsher bit to make up for the fact that they don't know how to train it. I feel like the use of harsher and harsher and harsher equipment is pretty normalized with horses. For me, in the barns I've been to, I don't really see a lot of spurs, which is good, I guess, but the use of whips is pretty heavy, and sometimes the bits just continue to get harsher and harsher. I don't really see many people riding in just a normal snaffle. It's usually something with shanks or, like, twisted wire, a lot of the stuff that's not really great, (laughs) stuff that I would never want to use, but I do think, here at least, it does kind of depend on what you're doing with your horse, similar to the dog world, because a lot of the trail riders I've seen... Not all of them, but a good amount just ride in a halter or have like an actual side pull. Whereas people that are competing usually have a little bit harsher equipment. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And I think there definitely is a significant level of that in the horse world of kind of just, you know, if you're competing, you have more pressure on you to get the results. And if you have more pressure on you to get the results, then you have to use whatever is necessary to get those results that you want. I definitely think that that happens. I think too, the feeding treats is in general, much more normalized in the dog world, like maybe even like excluding the context of training, just like, you know, having dog treats in your house and, you know, giving them to your dog. I think that's pretty normalized. Maybe not everybody does that. I don't know. As a pet sitter who's always going into different people's houses and taking care of their dogs, I mean, almost every house that I go in has, you know, a little bag of treats or a little container that they fill up with treats and things like that. And so like, they may not use it in training. I'm not sure, but I think it's pretty normalized for it to be there. Whereas with horses, we still have like many, many, many people who think that horses shouldn't be fed treats at all like inside or outside of training like they just can't be fed treats that's really unfortunate that it's like that thankfully at the barns I've boarded at I have seen people with like several bags of treats in their tack room but how often they feed them I have no idea (laughs) but I think that with horses people are so focused on the idea that the horse might become mouthy or disrespectful or be rude. Whereas with dogs, that does happen sometimes, mostly if you're making them feel conflicted. But with dogs, I don't know, people just, it is really normalized. Like you walk in the house and maybe your dog gets a treat for not jumping on someone. And it's not supposed to be a training session, but I think people just do that 
kind of stuff normally in their dog's life. Whereas with horses, we're so focused on riding and competition and all that stuff that they don't typically really care for. They can, but the way we do it, they don't really care for. I can say that at least. But with horses, we're not usually just going around reinforcing behaviors that they're doing well. I think part of that, like I said, is because of riding, but also we don't live with them. Dogs live inside with us, so we have more opportunities to reward them for things, even if it's not intentional. Yeah, that's very true. And I think you're right about people not wanting to feed horses because of them getting, you know, kind of like muggy or getting in your space and mouthing at you and whatnot. And something that somebody said yesterday at the clinic that I was at really kind of stuck out to me. And that was that like a horse's mouth is really their only organ that they have that can sort of like explore like that and like manipulate objects and stuff like that. Like, I mean, obviously they could kick at something or paw at something, but their mouth is really like their organ that they have to investigate things and interact with the environment. So it's kind of problematic that we are so against them being able to use their mouth to explore things. Like, obviously, we don't want to be getting bitten and we don't want any unsafe behavior to be happening. And it's okay to have that type of boundary. But also, it's very normal for horses to want to explore things with their mouth and to want to just like investigate the environment like that. And we're a part of the environment. So, you know, they may want to investigate us as well. Obviously, like I said, when that's getting into the territory of being unsafe, then that's an issue. And even if it's not unsafe and it's just unwanted, there are kind ways to train that behavior kind of out and replace it with something else using positive reinforcement. But also I think that is sort of a normal horse behavior. And so it's kind of sad that we don't want horses to be able to do that. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good parallel into the dog world because the biggest thing I hear since I'm mostly working with puppies is that their puppy mouths too much. They chew on furniture legs, they tear things apart, but like that's natural for a dog, just like it is a horse. They explore things with their mouths and noses and that's just what they do. You can redirect those things or train alternate behaviors, but you have to actually do that instead of just shouting no or for horses hitting them. There's all kinds of things we do to prevent those things that can shut them down or kind of take away that need that they have because with horses and dogs both, their noses and mouths are kind of like our hands. They need to do things with them. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly right. And I feel like that is just very much overlooked. And I think with dogs, I appreciate that it's becoming a little bit more normalized to take your dog on like sniffing walks where you let them kind of sniff and they don't have to totally heal with you and just be right by your side and walk perfectly. They can kind of explore a little bit. And I I mean, I know that that's not like totally normalized. There are still many, many people out there who want their dog to perfectly heal and walk exactly beside them at all times and don't ever let them sniff. I know that that does happen, but I think it's at least becoming partially normalized for some people to be able to do the kind of sniffing walks. And I feel like things like that with horses also would be so helpful. It would probably be more so like grazing and sniffing than just sniffing but I mean as we've discussed before like smell is also a horse's strongest sense from what we know so for them to be able to smell and explore the environment like that can be super enriching and also just possibly like a necessary thing that they might need for their mental and physical health to be able to kind of explore around and get those types of interactions that with the environment that we you know know that dogs need or at least some people know that dogs need especially for a horse that's kept inside or things like that 
I feel like that, you know, going on those type of sniffing walks for horses too is much more of a need than people realize. Yeah, I think so too. I have one Melvie horse and one Melvie dog. So (laughs) providing enrichment that gives them an outlet to perform those behaviors has been really helpful in limiting the tooth to skin contact for me. So with Pharaoh, I used to have like dog tug toys or I'd like attach a Kong to it or something. So he had something that he could actually put in his mouth that's appropriate rather than my shoulder blades because that's what he always went for. And with that too, obviously you have to address things like their diet and their turnout situation, making sure that it's not something more internal and that it actually is just play or curiosity, obviously, but giving him those outlets allowed for him to perform those behaviors without doing any damage to me or trying to play with me like I am a horse because I think the play was really his drive in that situation because he still is like that sometimes and he does have a good diet he's turned out 24 7 he has another horse really everything is pretty great so I think he's just very exploratory and I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily but just providing something that they can do instead I think is a good idea for really any species that's going to be mouthy, but I don't know much about anything beyond dogs and horses, honestly, so I can't say for other species. Yeah, that's definitely true. I know for my guinea pigs, they really need to chew on things, and um, I think they really appreciate having, like, an environment that has things in it that they can explore, so I, you know, when I clean their cage, I will you know, reset everything, give them some new toys in there, change the layout up a little bit, and you know, also keep some familiar things because I'm sure they also would be stressed if it was just like a completely new environment. But yeah, and when I know that sometimes like they will escape from the cage because they're like, they're like kind of half free roaming guinea pigs and half supposed to stay in their little pen because like they have a pen up, but they regularly push it down and get out. And I just am like, okay, that's fine. So they also kind of just like free roam in my room. And if I leave stuff on the floor, like they will find it and they will eat it. Like if I leave a charger on the floor, they will eat it. That has definitely happened with my computer charger and I had to buy a new one that was very expensive. Um, and then my, when we, when they were living with my boyfriend at his apartment, he had his records um, kind of like out on a shelf that was really low to the ground and they, you know, went there and they ate some of the record cases so that was not great Um, (laughs) so I definitely think other species have many other species kind of have that like oh we need to explore and eat slash chew or smell or whatever and with the guinea pigs I feel like honestly no matter how many chews I give them if they go out and they see something interesting they're probably gonna eat it but (laughs) I think like definitely having a good environment will kind of keep them happy in that space, they might be a little bit less likely to go out and, you know, look for other things to chew on. With Pharaoh, he used to escape all the time. We got better fencing now and he can't. Makes me kind of sad that we had to up the voltage, but it's for his safety. (laughs) But our pasture is pretty boring right now. Like, I'm not going to lie, it's just a field. But I have plans to upgrade that stuff and that should help with his wanting to explore more because he'll have more opportunities in the pasture where he's safe. Whereas right now, he really does want to get out and see things and providing outlets for behaviors like that are a good way to prevent things like that with dogs and horses and guinea pigs. Yes, for sure. I think, (laughs) yeah, it's definitely, it can be a struggle to really meet their needs for exploring and 
you know, their various species needs, like for horses, foraging and grazing and for guinea pigs, chewing and, you know, dogs, maybe more sniffing, but also lots of overlap there. But yeah, it's very hard to kind of meet those needs that they have. But definitely, if you can do your best to do that, it will help hopefully some of those unwanted behaviors not be there. And I guess like going back to the mugging thing, I think that is just like, it's just a misconception about training with treats. Like, it's just not true. I mean, if you do it poorly and you feed them when they're mugging you, then yes, that's going to reinforce that behavior and they are going to do that. So, I mean, it can happen, but if you understand what you're doing and you feed them away from you and, you know, for the behaviors you want to reinforce, you know, don't click and feed them for being in your space, then I think that that is going to be effective and it's going to lead to a horse that isn't mugging you or isn't getting in your space or at least is doing it very infrequently. Like I still sometimes, still sometimes Mimi will kind of get in my space, but it's much less frequent than it was even before we started working with treats. So, I mean, she's a lot less, you know, muggy than she was even before she was being hand-fed treats and trained with treats. So I think it's kind of just like a fact that they will learn through reinforcement to give you your personal space and not be mouthy at you if you train it properly. And so anybody who's having that issue from positive reinforcement, it's going to be because they're not, they're not reinforcing the right behaviors and they're not, you know, effectively implementing the training. So I think, you know, for those people kind of working with a professional or even just like looking at more resources online to try to learn more about how to teach, you know, quote unquote manners when you're feeding, that's going to be the biggest thing to be helpful there. I mean, there's not really any better way to teach your horse to be kind of not mouthy and to be quote unquote respectful with food than by using food and by teaching them how they're supposed to behave with food. Yeah, for sure. I feel like a lot of people come across that issue and then just drop using food entirely, like not even just to give their horse a treat because they love them. They just stop offering food by hand entirely because of the mouthing issue. But really that stems just from probably not having good mechanical skills because clicker training is not as easy as it sometimes seems. It's actually pretty complicated if you look into it. But I also had that issue with Wonder. He was terrible. Like he would actually sometimes get a little mouthy or a couple times he went to bite me because he got frustrated. And that was when I was first starting out. So I knew next to nothing really. I hadn't read a book. I hadn't really watched many videos. I just kind of like heard about it through social media and was like, let's try this and not learn anything. And he was pretty awful, but <laughs> <laughs> I was able to correct it with using protected contact and lowering my reinforcement value because I was using pretty much only peppermint. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it happens, people make mistakes, but that doesn't mean that the training is bad as a whole, like the entire method. It just means that you probably missed a step somewhere or there's a hole in your training. Or like I said earlier, there could be something medically wrong or maybe the environment's not great. Like there's so many different factors and it's not just the horses being mouthy because you're feeding them treats by hand. Yeah, that's very true. And I definitely have had people stop. I've seen people stop feeding their horses treats because of that. Like I, when I used to work at a barn, I once had a horse bite my arm just kind of mouthing at me and then 
bit my arm as I was walking him in from the pasture. And it did, you know, leave a pretty significant mark. It was like kind of painful. So I did tell the barn manager just in the sense of like, oh, hey, you know, this is maybe a behavior that you want to know is happening and like keep an eye on, not in a like, oh my God, this horse is so bad. I'm so mad. But just like in general, when people's animals do a, you know, behavior that I think they might want to be aware of, I, you know, tell them in case the horse is around kids or something, you don't know, they just might want to be aware that that horse should do that. So, um, you know, in hindsight, I wish I didn't say anything because the barn manager's response to that was like, oh, I'm going to forbid the child from using treats to train this horse anymore. And it's like, oh, that is not going to fix the problem. He's still going to probably be mouthy because he's going to, you know, think that that's how he can explore. He needs to have some other type of outlet to explore if you don't want him to do that. And also training with treats is a great way of actually teaching him to not do that. So it's like, just not the response that I was hoping for. And, you know, I should have known that that was kind of like what the traditional response would be and not said anything. But yeah, it's very unfortunate when that's kind of people's go-to is like, okay, we'll just stop with the treats then. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click Treat Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click Treat Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every other Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.